Uh, well, good morning. Um, thanks for letting me be here. Um, I am excited. Um, and uh, so is my two-year-old. Um, I walk when I talk. Um, so I will try to come back to the microphone and be there so that everyone can hear. But no one's ever said I've had a problem with volume before. Uh, as you can see, my two-year-old inherited that as well. Um, all right. Well, um, early in the second year of my medical residency, I was working overnight in the ICU, the intensive care unit, taking care of patients when the code pager went off. And the code pager goes off, it's, it's like your personal alarm that somewhere in the hospital someone is dying, potentially. It is nerve shattering. It interrupts whatever you're doing and pulls you immediately out of what task is in front of you and you just begin to focus on the fact that there's a code and you need to get there. Anxiety is often associated with it, but like a Pavlovian response, you get up and you start moving towards the code. Now, this was not my first code. My first year of, med of residency, I'd respond to several codes, but as an intern, a first year resident, your job at the codes is to be a supporter. You do what the senior residents tell you, which is often chest compressions, up and down, up and down. Actually pretty simple to do. I was good at chest compressions. The anxiety that I was feeling now, early in my second year, was realizing as I was running towards this patient's room, it was like, oh yeah, I no longer get to do chest compressions, which I'm good at. I'm now going to have to maybe play that role of leading the code. I was very anxious about this. And so as I'm running, I'm trying to think of the algorithms, the medications, the different interventions we could do, what, what, what we might need to do depending on what's going on. But all of that suddenly stopped, and I got blank as the fear and anxiety overtook me. And I started to slow my pace down as I'm going through the hospital, hoping that another senior resident would beat me there and they could be in charge. The risk was I might have to be in charge. And sure enough, I walk into the room, and there's a throng of nurses, patient care techs, respiratory therapists, all tending to this patient, and they all look at me as I enter. I'm the first white coat. Their faces look back expectantly. What's the plan? What are we to do? Give us direction. Is exactly how I felt. Nothing. I was panicked. I looked at the vital signs on the monitor. I looked at the patient. I checked my own pulse. <laughs> and still, I was not wanting to be in charge. I asked a question. I'm stalling. You know, what's going on? Appropriate question, but still, I'm not taking charge. The next person through the door, ah, the intern. Great. They get to do the chest compressions. And then I moved in, and I began to run my first code. Every code is intense, and afterwards, I had that, that potent mixture of emotions as I'm walking down the hospital, still the middle of the night, and I'll never forget it. Every code's intense, but this one, I felt such a sense of relief when it was over. I felt a little shamed. I was embarrassed. I felt guilty. I had hesitated. I really did. I was reluctant. And I chided myself and, you know, looked at it, but then remembered we had ran that code successfully. I survived, as did the patient. <laughs> but it gave way to almost kind of a giddy 
joy. And yes, there was adrenaline involved, but there was this ecstaticness of like, the moment had arrived when I was being asked to step into a new role to bring it to the next level. And we did. I think in this passage here today, Matthew, the Lord is asking us as a church to take it to the next level. Let's pray real quickly before we look at that more closely. Heavenly Father, we are here gathered in your name. We ask for your spirit to come and open our hearts, open our minds, open our imaginations to receive your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so this parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Can people hear me? We okay? Good volume? Um, the parable of the talents, it's a famous one. It's about a master and he has three servants. And these three servants demonstrate two responses to the master's invitation to partner with him as he has property that he's trying to expand. So he entrusts these servants with property, inviting them to expand his property, expand his domain, expand his kingdom. And we see one of two responses. The first two servants have a response, and the last servant has a different, separate response. And Father Aaron chose this passage because it actually talks directly about stewardship. It never mentions that word, but it directly informs the church's understanding of stewardship, has for centuries. And as we consider the idea of stewardship, it's helpful to think about this story. It's a story of a master who gives his stewards an opportunity to partner with him, to expand his domain, to expand his kingdom. But we've got to remember that this is about God's kingdom. This whole story is referring to God's kingdom. It says there right in verse 14, I know you don't have it in front of you, for it will be like, well, what's the it? It refers all the way back to the first verse of the chapter when it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. And then there's 13 verses about 10 virgins. We're not going to talk about 10 virgins. We're going to talk about the next parable, for it will be like, and then we have the parable of the talents. So this story is talking about God's kingdom. God's kingdom to come. God's kingdom come. God's will be done. For whatever reason, God has chosen for that reality to be made manifest. It's going to be through the partnership with humans. Us, servants. He does not choose to do it by himself. He has said, we're going to partner together. I'm going to entrust you with these resources, and we're going to make it happen. To build, to grow the kingdom is dependent on stewardship. He invites us to that, to grow his kingdom. And these 17 verses show us that we can and how it will happen. And that we can have one or two responses to this reality. We can either sit on the sidelines of stewardship, like the last servant did, or we can take a step and begin to find our stride in stewardship, to begin to find our stride in stewardship. So two options here. Sit on the sidelines of stewardship, begin to find our stride in stewardship. Well, before we get into these two responses, these two separate responses, let's just pause briefly and let's get on the same page about two important notions that are important and key to understanding the passage. One is the notion of God's kingdom, and the other is the notion of what is entrusted. And this passage highlights both of those things. And what does it tell us? Well, when we think about God's kingdom, when we talk about it, remember, we're dealing with the seen 
and the unseen, the material and the immaterial, the spiritual and the physical. So when God is entrusting his servants with portions of his kingdom, he is talking about money, he is talking about resources, durable goods, houses, cars, clothes, food. He's also talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about talents and abilities. In fact, this is where the English language gets the word talent. It was not a word in the English language until this was translated into English. So he is talking about physical and spiritual reality. He's talking about material and immaterial. And don't forget, he's also talking about time. Time is another thing that the Lord has given us. We only have so much on this earth, but it's a gift to you. So when, when you think of the talents, when you think of what has God given you to steward, bundle all of those things into your imagination. Bundle them all. It's talking about them all. Also, when we're thinking about this parable, particularly in the, in the terms of the kingdom, remember it's about the growth of the kingdom. This is not about increasing God's wealth. This is not about growing the wealth of the church. It's not about making money for God. It's easy to slip into that, but it's not. Remember, money to God is, is merely a tool. Did you know we invented it, right? It's our invention that we need to somehow figure out resources now. It's inert to God, except when he wants to use it. When God's kingdom is fully made manifest, there'll be no money. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Okay? Money, God has no need for money as an end. It's only a tool to be applied when appropriate. So bear that in mind. What God is showing us here is that his kingdom is multiplied by faithful stewarding of his gifts. The parable teaches us it's the multiplication of ministry that God values. He wants that to multiply. And that multiplication comes as a result of faithful stewardship. I've been throwing the term stewardship around, steward. Let's define it together. There's lots of, lots of different definitions you can find. Let's get a working one together. I can't guarantee it'll be the best, but if you really want to flatter me, you can write it down. All right, here we go. This is my stab at defining stewardship. Ready? It's the faithful application of God's gifts over time to grow the kingdom. The faithful application of God's gifts over time to grow the kingdom. And when we participate in stewardship, we actually usher the kingdom in. We usher in God's kingdom. It is not a stretch to consider stewardship is in fact the living out of your faith. It's not works. It's not earning salvation. It is saying, by stewarding, it is saying, I believe that you, Lord, are my master and all that I have was given to me by you and I give it back. That's what stewardship is, is saying. And when we do that, we see the power of God. The kingdom of God comes near. It becomes immediate. We usher it in when we participate. Here's a great picture of it. Loaves and fishes. You've all heard that story. We have a little boy, a young child, who his parents have given him a gift. Here's food for the day, son. Two fishes, five loaves. I think I got that right. Five loaves, two fishes. Bundle it up. 
He takes it with him for his day. He's going to be sitting among the masses. And a need arises. A need for food. And this small child who's been given this small gift says, I have this to give. And the Lord takes that. The child does not hold on to it as his own. The Lord takes it and multiplies it. Since when does five times two equal multitudes? The power of God takes the, takes the ministry that we bring, the stewardship, the stewardship that we bring to the table. He takes it. He multiplies it. And you see the power of the kingdom made manifest. If you want to see hearts healed, broken bodies restored, relationships restored, and churches built, you want to get in this race. You don't want to sit on the sidelines of stewardship. Participate. Partner with the Lord with what he's given you. Okay, so that's, that's laying the groundwork for the kingdom as we want to understand it in this passage. The other thing I thought we needed to get on the same page with conceptually was the property. What has he entrusted? There's much to do about this. Um, there's a lot been written about the talents. But before we get into that, know that what God gives to you, what he's entrusting you to steward, is both personal and specific. Let me take, let me, let me see that. Verse 15. To one he gave five, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. God knows you. He made you. He knows what you need. He has a plan to prosper you, right? To build you up. And so what he's going to give you to steward is based on his knowledge of you and his knowledge of the plan he has for you. It's personal. He is going to give you what you need to do the tasks that he wants you to do, whether it's money, whether it's durable goods, whether it's, it's a car that you need, whether it's the financial support you need, whether it's the energy that you need, whether it's the strength you need, or whether it's the friend you need. All of those are the gifts that the Lord is going to give you so that you can be faithful with what he wants you to do. Let's also talk about the amounts just briefly. Five, two, and one talents. Let's try to translate that into our currency. So I Googled. Um, average income, 2013 U.S. Let's translate this in our money. This would be the equivalent, of, essentially, of one million, two million, five million. Why? There's lots of talk about it. Many different ancient empires used the term talent or a measure or a weight. One source said it's probably the equivalent of 20 years of annual salary. So just doing some simple math, let's think of them as 1 million, 2 million, and 5 million. Just let that sink in. If God walks up to you and says, here's a million dollars, please use it for the kingdom, the first thing you think is like, wow, he's serious. Mm. This is not a token, mm. right? This is not the same as me you know, giving my, do- my daughter a 25 cents, use it wisely. This is serious. God's entrusting you with real property. He's entrusting you with real value and he's inviting you to really use it. Don't think for a minute that it's not important what he's giving to you. Also important to think about is that he's not really concerned about the net yield. What do I mean by it? I am not a finance guy. Net yield sounds good, yeah? (laughs) He's not worried about how much you make. So in this story, you have five two, and one, which becomes ten, four, and stays at one. Isn't it wonderful that what God says to the guy with ten, he says to the guy with four? 
Well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, you almost did as well as he. He doesn't say, you did great, you did good. He doesn't say, you did well, you did better. There's no comparison between the master and the servant. So know that what you've been given and what she's been given are not going to be compared. What's going to be the issue at hand when you come before the master is, what did you do with what you got? Praise the Lord. We've each been given different gifts because we're each different. We're different people. Look, you don't want to put me behind that microphone and sing, the kingdom will shrink. (laughs) Maybe it's okay here, but not there. I don't have those gifts. Praise the Lord, Dan does. And that's why we need each other. It's the full expression of the body to be given different gifts. And the parable is highlighting that by different amounts. Think if we were all priests, church full of errands. No, the full expression of the body. Okay, let's talk about the two responses. So we have a master who has said, servants, stewards, partner with me. You know about my kingdom. You know about the gifts. Let's go. Let's talk about the responses. Let's talk about the last servant first. Let's look at verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, before we ridicule him, before we tear him down too much, think about what's happening here. The context is there's no banks. There's no financial institutions. There's no place for you to invest. It just doesn't happen. You can't click E-Trade. You can't be that cute little baby who can just make money. (laughs) You're taking what is extremely valuable and you're putting it in the safest place in the ground. What he did was considered safe. This would be recognized as like, well, that was a safe move. At least it will be there when the master gets back. You could say, well, actually, he's kind of thinking about his master. He's protecting his assets. But if you unpack what he says to the master, you realize that what he was really concerned about was more his self rather than either the gift or his master. In verse 24 and 25, this is what he says. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered seeds, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent. Here, have what is yours. Note that he acted out of fear. And this is instructive because any time you come to the table with God, the partner, there's going to be risk involved. There's going to be moments of anxiety. It's true. It's a dangerous world. And so you can choose to let that fear drive your decisions or take the different response. And here's why we can say this confidently. The experts have looked at this language and what he's really saying is, I did not want, I knew that you might actually require me to pay out of my money if there was any loss here. Mm-hmm. I knew you might beat me if there was less than one talent when you got back. I could have gone to jail. That would have been the master's prerogative. His concern about those outcomes drove him to sit, literally sit on it.
when we're driven by fear, we sit on the sideline. When I walked into that patient's room, I wanted to sit back. I really wanted someone else to come forward and take the risk and take the responsibility. If you're in charge of the code, you sign off on a paper at the end of what happened. It's your name that's attached to the outcome. I didn't, I didn't feel ready. I was afraid. It's too risky. I felt inadequate. But sometimes we sit for other reasons. So sometimes we sit because we're paralyzed by fear. Everyone's had those moments. But look what the Lord calls this servant. And it's an insight as to why we sometimes sit. What does he call him? Verse 26. You wicked and slothful servant. Okay, the wicked part we get. He was disobedient. He didn't act as God would want. Slothful? Yeah, it's true. Stewardship is hard work. When we partner with God, it actually is going to require effort and application and diligence, faithfulness. It's over time. That's why I put that in the definition. It isn't, it isn't the case that we can hang back and let someone else do the heavy lifting. By the way, God is a worker, right? The first introduction to God in the Bible is Genesis. Okay, that's easy. What's he doing? He's working. When we, when we first open up the Bible, when God makes a scene, he's building, he's creating, he's a worker. If you're going to partner with a worker, you better be ready to work. We've all let hard work get the best of us. We've all not wanted to do the heavy lifting. Maybe someone else can do it. Um, sometimes it's just easier to like give a one-time gift and be done with it rather than say, I will commit to you and support your missionary in Pakistan. It's easier actually just to give a one-time gift. It's easier to say, I'll pray for you now rather than let's meet on a regular basis and I'll alter my schedule and you'll alter your schedule and we'll dig into the word of God. It's easier to do a one-time gift than it is to steward something over time. Stewardship is hard work. It's often not glamorous. Lindsay and I were, were, ta- were, were kind of laughing as we were talking about the stories, like, you know, stories about stewardship, that's going to be a snoozer. It's a long story. There's nothing necessarily dramatic at times, but it's hard work. So are you sitting? I know I have at times. I wanted to sit back in that patient's room. You know what the antidote was? Move. Go. Take action. Take even the smallest step. The first servant gives us a clue. Look at this. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded. Traded is hard. So to trade back then would have taken like your whole focus to make sure that you weren't being robbed, right? There weren't online tracking things. He went at once. The antidote to sitting on the sideline and moving in to trying to find your stride is to take a step. It's to move. Don't delay. Don't get safe. Don't get comfortable. It'll only get harder. Find your stride. Have you ever seen the start of a race? The Chicago Marathon, it's great. If you don't ever run it, which I have not, go at least watch it. Watch the start of it. Have you ever seen a 5K or a triathlon start? Everyone's lined up. You're all jammed in there, ready to go. The gun goes off, and it is just like a jostle fest. I mean, it is like everyone is jockeying for position. Everyone's trying. They're stumbling. 
There's, there's falling down. I mean, everyone is trying to find their stride. No one starts the race with the pace they finish. You find your stride so that you have the pace that will allow you to finish the race. And that's exactly what you want to do with stewardship. You don't have to, like, hit it out of the, home, out of the park. Now I'm mixing metaphors. What you want to do is you want to take a step, even if it's a small one, to try to find your stride. How do you do that? Well, verse 24, we hear the last servant saying, um, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. So his fear came from not knowing the master. You know, the master never owns up to that description. He just repeats it back as a question. Well, if you knew that, then you should have taken action. Our confidence to step forward is, comes from the master, comes from our knowledge of the master. He is a generous God. We've just spent the last two Sundays talking about that. He, what he has given is adequate. Have your, put your confidence in him, not in what he's given, not in the resources. He will give you good gifts. He will supply all your needs. You don't step out because you've been given five talents. You step out because it's the master inviting you out. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some put their trust in chariots. Some put their trust in horses. But we put our trust in the name of our Lord, the God, the Lord, our God. For it's actually the master who's running with you. He's going to pace you stride for stride. You partner with him, he's running with you. And then you'll find out he's actually going before you. And he's preparing the way. And then you'll realize he's giving you, he's preparing you for what lies ahead. He will bring to you everything you need. The energy, the strength, the training, the money, the opportunity. Maybe he's asking you to spend your free time in a different way. Watch one less show a week that could go to the church. Maybe he's asking you to start tithing. Maybe he's asking you to switch careers. Maybe he's asking you to give to a friend who's in need. Either way, whatever it is he's asking you to give, when you start responding, when you start striding forward, you're going to see the multiplication of ministry. It's exciting. It fills you full of joy. When I walked away from that code, all these emotions came out, but it really was joy. It wasn't just adrenaline that I felt afterwards. And guess what? I, I couldn't wait for the next one. I was eager to apply all of that training that had come forward to bear in that moment that I had been stewarding and then strided forward, I was eager for the next one. And I think you'll find that if you steward and you give to the Lord, you'll be eager for more. Yeah, it'll be hard. At times you will suffer. Don't be afraid of that. He'll give you what you need to suffer. You'll have to sweat. But you'll want more. And the joy of the Lord, this is what he says to his servants, enter into your master's joy. The kingdom will come. And his joy is for you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.